0: There are moments in our life when we are shaped through adversity and challenge. We're propelled through turbulent change and presented with an opportunity to take wings and soar from a dark place to one of light. I'm Leslie Salem, founder of Over the Bloody Moon, on a mission to take the muddle out of menopause. In our podcast, We meet women from all walks of life and experience to share their tales and tools of positive transformation. Come join us for the flight. I'm really delighted today to interview Tova Lee. There's so many different ways to describe her. Blogger, vlogger. Author comedian, but in my eyes she's kind of a champion of real women so it's really great to welcome you today welcome Tava ah oh, thank you so much I'm so pleased to be here thank you for asking me <laughs> So we're here to talk today about authenticity, and we're going to talk about your brilliant and quite poignant but funny book, Fucked at 40. And that journeys your personal account into your becoming, really. So we're going to be kind of delving into what that journey was like. I know it wasn't all plain sailing. Just like perimenopause, we have our ups and our downs. So I think for me, when I was reading it, I really connected with some of your trials and, and tribulations. So one of the things that I really took out from the book was it kind of forces ourselves to connect at a deep level. But I wanted to hear from you. What made you write the book and share that account with women? So, I mean, the book came out, I guess I started writing
1: the book sort of at the beginning of my forties when I had what I call my midlife crisis. (laughs) So many things, you know, happened around that time. I've got three kids, two of which are twins. And I sort of had this realization that for X amount of years of my life, I was just living the way I guess I thought I was supposed to be living. And I had really achieved all the things that you're supposed to achieve. <laughs> so really, I, had, I really had nothing to complain about. I'm married to a, an amazing man who I love and I, my kids are all great. And we have a house and two dogs and the minivan and it's all there. All the boxes are ticked. But after having a tiny bit of a health scare, which ended up being, I was okay and everything was fine, but it was sort of like a push, something clicked in me in the moment where I kind of faced my mortality for the first time. And I think it does have to do with the age, reaching 40 and suddenly going, oh my God, soon it's menopause. I've got more past than future and and all these thoughts kind of kicked in and I just thought, I have to sort of really reevaluate my life and see where, is this really what I want? And I sort of went on this massive journey whereby I really started questioning every single aspect of my life and really redefining myself and refinding myself because that was the main thing that I felt was that I totally lost myself in all the sort of mom and all the other roles and hats we put on as women I sort of lost me and I really didn't know who I was. And then on top of that, at the same time, and this I think links into what you do and what you talk about, I really did have that surge of, hormones after years of shoving hormones down my throat, whether it was through pills, the pill to prevent pregnancy. And then after when we tried to get pregnant and I was doing IUI, I had fertility treatments. And then of course, you're very hormonal after you have your babies with breastfeeding and all that. So really it was like the first time my body had been cleaned of hormones. And then suddenly I got this testosterone going on and I just, I just felt like I had never felt before. And I realized, and I'm talking about feeling horny, obviously, (laughs) just in case anybody didn't realize. And I was a bit like, is this normal? And I looked around me and there was nothing about it. Like It was so minimal. I know people kind of joke, oh, women in their 40s, they want to have sex with a 20-year-old. But there wasn't real information out there. It was more like cougar, jokey, not real, actual, factual info. And that's kind of what was the premise of the book, really.
0: Yeah, fantastic. There's so many things actually that you've, you've <laughs> mentioned that I just want to pick up on. So let's start firstly with feeling quite trapped in this, yeah. in this role. And it's such a familiar story. I think all women basically feel like that. It's just kind of at which points do we get, <laughs> take off our glasses and look at ourselves in the mirror. And I know reading in your book, you talk about that starting in early childhood, you wanting to be a good daughter and then a good girlfriend and then a good wife and then a good mum and suddenly it's kind of you know where are my priorities you also mentioned that for you it it felt like you call it a midlife crisis but one of the things you could kind of say is you know well maybe it was it's midlife clarity how did you navigate that and kind of for women that are going through that in a similar sort of situation what, what advice have you got for them
1: I definitely don't really see it as a crisis, as a negative. Like I 100% agree with you. It was an awakening. That's the word. But I feel like uh, people understood crisis more. Like midlife crisis, it's like a familiar term. So that's why I used it. But 100% it was an awakening. Not to say that there weren't points that were difficult or challenging or that I wasn't sure, of course, but every change comes with that. And uh, the end result or even the process itself was amazing and exciting and exhilarating and rewarding and all those things, you know, so... Definitely not to scare off anybody who's feeling like similarly, like I said, every change and everything before you try something or do something is a bit like, Oh, is it, is, how's it going to be? I don't know how I'm going to come out on the other side, but I, I'm very happy that it happened to me. I'm very happy. I had that awakening very happy. I went for it. And going back to what you said, a lot of women do feel the same. And it's a silent I don't know why, but it's like a, a secret, that like we're all bound to secrecy and silence and not many women feel like they can come out and say it. And initially when things were happening to me, I didn't even know if I could, if I could trust my closest friends to even tell them. And what was weird was that when I did come out and first confide with my closest friends and then later the rest of the world, but like, <laughs> my closest friends as, as a start, I was blown away by their reaction, you know? I was blown away. They had all had similar thoughts. And of course, everybody's got a different story and a different life and something different. But the amount of support I got and the amount of like oh, it was such a relief,
0: you know, it was like a relief that somebody was saying it, you know. And that's why it's so important to kind of be, you know, just having those conversations. So here's, here's an interesting fact I found out, which is from a neuroscientist. So the reason apparently why we kind of keep it all to ourselves is that we're genetically wired to have reward motivation. So, so that means that we always want to be quite compliant. So actually, you know, telling our mates or going, out in public and saying this isn't what I want is you know it kind of almost feels counterintuitive and and is so difficult but yeah totally totally agree that it's so important to kind of be having those conversations.
1: I found that very interesting in reading about you and I read that and I I didn't know that and going back to childhood I do have this theory and again I'm not a I didn't study this. I only talk from my own experience. And from my own experience, I do feel like I lived my life trying to please others. And I know for many people, this is how they feel. And actually not just women, just people in general sometimes have that need to sort of please other people, look after other people and be good. And I think for women more than men, there's that kind of, pressure to to be good, not to rock the boat, you know, to sort of play the role that we're supposed to. Um, And guilt. and, And guilt if you don't and all that. But I think what happens to women in their 40s is that you're done with your baby making years and society values youth and 20 year old bodies. So suddenly you're not in the category of being judged so much. So then women have this fuck it moment in their forties where they go, actually, I don't need to pretend like I'm cute anymore. Cause actually I sometimes am cute, but also I'm, you know, I can be so many other things apart from being cute. Of course, then women are called bitches and are labeled Mm -hmm. as opinionated and aggressive but really all they're doing is actually being their true selves whereas for many years potentially we were kind of like I call it faking it but I don't mean it in a bad way because I was a master at faking it Oh my god like I think women are masters at faking it because we we feel that we have to mm-hmm. and I think in your 40s and 50s you stop doing that you stop making that effort for other people and that's why I think that women get so much better with age.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think as well, our our generation are kind of, you know, trailblazers. We're, you know, setting the path now, aren't we, for our, our daughters, because we're setting the new agenda of what we want to be. And I think kind of in previous, you know, past generations, there was almost kind of like this acceptance that I am going to be invisible, that... I'm I'm kind of, you know, slipping away is sometimes the worst sort of side that I hear in the community. But actually by, you know, embracing it and seeing it as a time for reinvention, and actually that's not necessarily a quick thing as well. Giving ourselves permission to explore, to test out is so important. And and that's something I really resonated with in your chapter outside the mummy box. So do you want to tell us a little bit about, about that? What were the steps, if you were to kind of chunk it down, what were the steps to kind of help you push and explore. I obviously did a bucket list and actually
1: some of it was even recorded uh, on a series that I did, which is called Mom Life Crisis. I think there's like seven episodes in that. But I do mention some of the things I did in the bucket list, in the book itself. But they were very, very individual and specific for me. So if somebody felt like they kind of wanted to do their own thing, they would potentially pick other things. But I sort of thought about the different aspects of me that I felt I had lost or lost in touch of. For example, like it was my sense of adventure. So I went and I did a bungee jump, you know, like I wanted to find, and get back into in touch, in touch with my own sexuality, which was a massive thing, and it's a massive in the book as well. And that took longer, so that I I did loads of different things. That started from. Uh, something so small as in going to the mall with a girlfriend and saying to her, could you pick up clothes for me? Like, I don't want to be restricted to what I've been told since the age of 12 that suits me and that is good for my body type. And my entire closet looks exactly the same because I've restricted myself to wearing these same shapes or patterns because that's what my body type is. And she's like this really into fashion kind of woman, and she selected these, oh, my God, outrageous outfits, and I was like, what? I would never wear this, and I can't do that, and then slowly – I realized, actually, I don't give a fuck. I like this color. I like this cut. So I don't look like the model on Zara that wore it, but who cares? And that was like a first step. And then I did stuff like pole dancing, which again, half started as a joke, but literally became an obsession and made such a big difference for me because it really taught me to appreciate and respect my body for what it was capable of doing, rather for what it was looking like. And also I have to say, I really thought I'd be intimidated by the other girls doing the classes because they were all 20-year-old Victoria's Secret models literally wearing superhero (laughs) thongs in class and I thought this is going to be a disaster, but they were so supportive. And there was something, again, quite educating about the fact that all these women were dancing, kicking ass and looking stunning, not for any men, because there were no men in the room, they were doing it for themselves. And it was really looking at women's sexuality and liberation, not from a male gaze, but actually from a female point mm. of view, which I don't think we have enough in our society at all. So that really helped as well. And then at some point, I did a nude photo shoot. Uh, I went to the nude spa. It was about coming to terms with my own nudity after two C-sections and my C-section shelf. So that part of it was a very long process. And I did a lot of things. But I don't know
0: what other people would find helpful. (laughs) Yeah, we we talk about kind of a nourishment list, which is kind of similar to the bucket, fuck it list. And (laughs) basically, it's about Throwing out what doesn't nourish us, you know, what what drains us, people, stuff that we kind of do for other people that doesn't kind of make us feel great and then replace it with with other things. And there's also something as you're talking that's making me think, you know, the more you hold on to something, the tighter you hold on to it, the more trapped, you know, you're going to feel the more tension, the more kind of unhappiness. Mm. So actually, it's just about completely letting go and being experimental and not putting pressure on ourselves that this is commitment forever. It's just about being playful. Um, Yes. And by the way, like this is a
1: a constant process, you know, and like you never really reach a point. I don't think I haven't at least reached a point where you go, right, that's it figured it all out. It's great. But my go-to point, is always the same. When I forget, because there are moments that you forget, and there's moments that you don't feel it, and you feel a bit lost, and it happens to me still, I just go back to something super simple, and that is what you said at the very, very beginning. Authenticity. For me, it was the absolute core of it, was to just come to terms and accept everything about myself including the shit because for example i resisted for many many years that i had a an ego for example i would try and justify like my behavior in certain situations to avoid admitting that actually it was ego because i couldn't bear the thought that i had an ego you know yeah. but it's like stuff like that it's just coming to terms with I, this is the type of mom that I am. I've tried so many years to be that type of mom that loves baking and really, really, really enjoys messy play. You know, really. I've, <laughs> I've tried so hard. It's just not me. It's just not who I am. And to, to come to terms with that, to really kind of go, it's okay, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. That is the real liberation. Like that is the
0: real, true liberation. Yeah, because it's not just about trying and testing things out for the sake of it. It's about yeah. finding connections back to yourself. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about being in our 40s now, and even, you know, perimenopause, which happens at around for most average women around 43, is that we've got another half of our, our, our life left. Yeah. So yeah. we've got rid of all the stuff of kind of, you know, what society is telling us to do. And now this is our chance to kind of, you know, connect back to ourselves. And I think that's, for me, that's kind of a really important message that I want to kind of encourage women to do is, um, you know, the pole dancing, for example, It forced you because it was physical to kind of, you know, go back into your body to explore what your body meant to you, the identity. And in so many ways I can hear you talking about it. It sort of, you know, unlocked things. So doing things through movement, finding ways to connect to our body, and then also, you know, just unblocking things to our mind is, is really key. Let's talk about sex because um, it, it does feature quite a lot in, and, and is a major kind of part of of you finding your authenticity and kind of, you know, playing with that again, bringing it back to perimenopause, you know, one of the things in media, they love to talk about our dry vaginas and, you know, the fact that we have got overweight bodies and, you know, just women don't feel like having sex anymore. And it's just not true. You know, 20% of women experience what you have experienced, the sex surge, which is when our testosterone actually becomes more dominant probably because, you know, often because estrogen and progesterone are low. And because there's not enough talk, as you said, you know, women tend to kind of, you know, hide it. So, but it can be really tricky, particularly in your, if you're in a relationship and you're feeling horny and, but men, let's face it, you know, women are born to change. We go through puberty, yeah. we, yes. we have babies and then we have, you know, perimenopause and the menopause, men just stay the same, right? <laughs> so, so how I'm really interested to hear about how you manage that conversation and continue conversation with Mike, who might not necessarily have been in the same place. Yeah. I think, to be
1: honest, you touched on so many things. And I think, again, it's a it's a society thing that also, you know, of course, is a result of many, many decades of living in a very, you know, men-led society. It's not just that women go through stages and nobody really acknowledges them. There's also actually things that happen to men that nobody really talks about because it doesn't really suit the macho male concept, you know, men's sex drive declines with age. Uh, you know, men are at their peak when they're young. Everybody knows this 18 to 20. And then after that, it's a gradual decline. We reached a point whereby my sex drive was why, way higher than Mike. Nobody talks about it. It's so, we're so sensitive to the male ego. Like, God forbid you would say something that would make a man feel less of a man, which yeah. is ridiculous, you know, because then women take it on them. Most women fall victims to the narrative which is oh your husband doesn't really want to have sex with you then you're probably fat or you're probably doing something wrong he's bored of you because Mm -hmm. you haven't that's a narrative that we're much more willing to believe than well actually his sex drive is declining because that's what happens to men (laughs) you know i mean it's just ridiculous so I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to, to, to play that part. And I don't play that part with Mike in any shape or form on any level, because also I I think it's actually quite insulting to men. It's very, um, how do you say, uh, patronizing and, you know, some may need that sort of ego striking, but I don't, Mike didn't. And it was a very open conversation. You know, at that point, my sex drive was blowing off the roof and his sex drive was nowhere near to the level of my sex drive. And that didn't mean anything about him or what type of man he was. And it didn't mean anything about me. It was just the way it was. And people should recognize that, you know, and not make it into all these kind of psychological, like, you know, like, no, it's just a physical, it's a physical thing, you know. So, Yeah. And there isn't enough conversation about that is my point, you know? Yeah. You're right. They do enjoy talking about our dry vaginas, you know, and they don't they don't really enjoy talking about anything else. Even just the thought of women in their forties or fifties being, you know, corny or being sexy or sexual is like
0: I mean, really? yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so one of the one of the rooms that we have in the house is the bedroom, which no surprise talks about sex and as much as the, the surge as as well as kind of touching on libido we we really encourage women this is our time to kind of buy sex toys, you know try it oh, out yes. if your partner or if you don 't have a partner there's lots of different ways that we don 't need to wait for men to kind of pleasure and and, and have fun um, and also you know explore what we actually really like rather than kind of yeah. waiting to, to kind of, you know, find out yeah. for women that don't necessarily have a partner that is quite so open. Are there any tips that you would have in terms of having that conversation around what you like and what you don't like?
1: I mean, first of all, I think that really when it came to me and everything that went when it wasn't about Mike ever, and it was never about the relationship either. It, it, honestly it really wasn't it was about me the amount of time I spend in my bathroom masturbating <laughs> I'm gonna build
0: a house but there's my a point bit is, in your book where you talk yeah. about mommy's special bath mommy's special and bath
1: time you know and it was always like quite in the open like yeah I was horny and I was going to look at you know provide my own needs whether it was through my partner or or solo play you know yeah. you can say you masturbation know, yeah masturbation <laughs> so I would say to women Women like our needs are our needs. And it's it's a great thing when you actually recognize those needs. And I talk a lot about, by the way, the connection for me between suppressing my needs and for example, emotional eating. For me, it was a there was a very there was a big link between the two. And when I recognized that I food no longer had that hold over me, which I know for a lot of women is another issue, another thing. And yeah, I would say that's number one, focus on you. For me, it was focusing on me. And when the conversations did take place, the focus was always on me. It was never about him. It was never about what he did do or didn't do and whatever. It was about me. I've discovered that this is what I need. And this is how I'm feeling. And this is this is what's going. And I think that immediately becomes very much less threatening because it has nothing to do with the other person. It didn't come from a place like you're not enough. It was never about that because I actually think, I think the most important aspect of it was that he never felt under attack. It was never about him. It was always about me.
0: So two really really great things that we can take out from from that is is not to to blame to come from a place from yourself your story why you're doing that is really really helpful Um, and the second is open communication it's just about kind of not keeping this journey to ourselves um, as something that we kind of almost you know trying to kind of hide away or feel embarrassed about Um, it's kind of you know spreading and, and sharing that. So one of the things in the book that became really clear to help you on this kind of finding yourself was, was having kind of partners in crime and Mm -hmm. creating this tribe around you, which, which is so important. So tell us a little bit about how that, how that worked. And again, what women can do to kind of create their own tribe as they go through perimenopause.
1: Totally. Like, I don't think, uh, it's weird because in my, uh, in my sort of, uh, in the years that I was really, I was so like in the motherhood, right? Like I, I'm obviously still a mom and I'm still in the motherhood, but you know, in that point where all my life just revolved around the children, and I was you know so I really did neglect friendships. I had friends that were mommy friends, and it was like you know we'd meet up for sort of play dates, and the kids were there, and it was like talking a lot about the kids and it was it was like a different type of friendship, which by the way was really great at the time, and it's what I needed and I think a, a lot of women feel that way when they're you know when their kids are very young um, but you know there was a point where I sort of uh where that friendship changed and it really became about the friendship and about the women and less about the kids. And it kind of, at some point became, let's meet up without the kids. You know, it was like, it became like this thing, no kids. You yes, know. So definitely. It was, yeah. And we started doing these, uh, getaways and, I'm telling you, it's so funny when you think about it now. Like, if, if any of us suggest doing a getaway now, like, I would barely finish my sentence and we'd be on a plane, you know, like nobody needs any convincing. But the first time we did it, everybody was like, oh my God, how do I do it? How do I go? How will yeah. we survive? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's like the list and the doctor's number on the fridge and, you know, and text me anytime. And now I just turn off my phone, don't call me. I don't want to hear it. Like, just manage. Um, so it does get easier. And I think women are an amazing support. Like, it's so amazing to be surrounded by women and to have that kind of support. My, I was very lucky because I have crazy friends who are just <laughs> like up for anything. And I've, I've mentioned a few of them in the book, and they were really important in the whole in the whole process. And I, it, by the way, there was another realization, which I think is important, which was, we put a lot of pressure on our relationships, like our main relationship, our romantic relationships, and the idea that your partner can provide all your needs is a Mm. flawed idea to begin with. And it does put a lot of pressure on people and on relationships. And that was a real great realization as well, which was actually my friends provide so much of my needs why do I also need Mike to provide those needs if they are met and they are and I get them from someone else and what does it matter and that took a lot of pressure off my relationship
0: with Mike as well yeah absolutely and indeed even thinking about our friends you know it's really good to have a variety of different types of friends that satisfy those you know different different needs that we have totally i remember reading in the book i I loved it you know you got eva to go on a new new spa with you um and and your brother you climbed up mount everest yeah so there's you know how easy was it to, to get them in on your ideas
1: Well, Ava's
0: Scandinavian, so she will take
1: off her clothes at any opportunity.
0: (laughs) In fact, it's putting them, keeping them on.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So the nude spa was really not an issue for her whatsoever. It was quite funny, but it was, it's good to have, I love her and it's, you know, we had some really profound moments, you know, Ava's my age. It's so silly. Like we, we, we were walking by Hampstead Pond and it's like the women only pond and we're talking about, you know, whatever we're talking about. It's in the book. And I'm like, oh, but I want to do this. And what, what? So I, because I'm 40, like I, I can't wear like a bikini or I'm not sexy or I can do this or that. And she goes, Tova, we're not dead yet. And it's like, it sounds so stupid, but she said it. And I had this moment. I was like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. We're not dead yet, like you know. So she's like that. that. Yeah, she's that 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 friend. And my brother, it's weird. My brother's two years younger than me. He doesn't live in this country. He lives uh, in Israel. And uh, he went, he went to Thailand with some friends for a week. Uh, and when he came back, I was going through this this thing, and I was thinking of Nepal. It was always like that. And I thought, I'm never gonna do it. There's nobody who's gonna go with me. Like I'm never, I didn't even mention it to anybody. So he comes back from Thailand and he says to me, I said, how was it? And he goes, oh, it was so good. It took me one day to go back to just being 20 years old I suddenly realized how much my life is weighing on me because actually suddenly I was single. Like, you know, I didn't think about my kids. There was no drop off. He's a very involved dad, blah, 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 blah. So he was like, and it was just so liberating. And I think I'm going through a midlife crisis. And as soon as he said that sentence, I went, do you want
0: to go to Nepal? (laughs) And it was literally like that. And he said, yes. So just to, just to kind of finish off, we've spoken today about, um, you know, your, your journey to really sort of find who you are and what makes you kind of you know happy but for women at the beginning of their journey sometimes I mean I know from my own personal experience I wrote that list of all the things that I wanted to kind of remove from my life um, and the things of kind of where I wanted to go to and I was just completely overwhelmed and I know chatting to women in you know, in the community doing I'll take charge of change courses, it's, it's kind of like, you know, where do I start? Or actually, when you it's, you know, opening up a can of worms, sometimes, like, I thought my life was great. And actually, it's not so great. So what what can women do to kind of start to cultivate those changes without sort of thinking, whoa,
1: I think it really is about starting very small, you know, like I, I, I don't think I would have been able to do everything if I had thought that in three months time I'd be in Everest, like I would probably feel very overwhelmed by that. So I think for me, it started literally with a walk every morning. That's how small it started. 30 minutes walking in the woods with music and just allowing myself that 30 minutes a day just for me. And when, and you know what, I have neglected doing that. Like I still do walks, but I'm like on my phone and I'm answering emails. So I'm talking about like really taking that time. And then it grew into an hour's walk. And then later on, it grew into an hour's walk followed by mommy's special bath time. And then it was an hour's walk followed by mommy's special bath time. And you know what, putting on some makeup or a a pair of earrings. And it just meant dedicating time for me. And then it grew into suddenly doing pole dancing and doing other things. So I think start super
0: small that would be my 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 best advice you know so those kind of gradual steps you know we don't get up a ladder and go straight to the top rung we kind of you know work our way up don't we so yeah. yeah that makes total sense is there anything looking back on the last couple of years that you would have done differently
1: no i mean i would probably i wish i had known some of the things that i know now or maybe that i was able to recognize and kind of happy to accept now that i had done it like 10 years ago or 20 years ago i mean i know there's no regrets obviously because it is what it is but i am very happy when 20 something year old girls say that they've read my book and they are so happy they read it now so that makes me feel really good but you know no I'm sort of happy how things happened, you know? Yeah, I don't have regrets.
0: (laughs) Hooray. (laughs) What about fear? Because um, that can stop us from kind of making headway quicker. Yeah.
1: I think fear is part of the game. It's like, you're going to be afraid. I'm afraid so much, like so many times. I don't know if you know this, but I have the worst fear of flying. But I sort of made a decision to never let it stop me. So fear is there and fear is there to protect you. So fear is something to take into account, but I think my decision at least was that it will not stop me. Going to Nepal, for example, meant flying to the most dangerous airport in the world, like it's official, right? Yeah. In a tiny little plane, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, and again, three days before I nearly canceled, but I did it. And... And I always think like the fear is before you do something, but once you're doing it, you kick into, I'm doing it now, and and the fear is gone. And also, when I was about to go to Nepal, people, I was talking to people about fear and that I'm really scared and all that. So somebody sent me this amazing video. It was Will Smith, actually, and he was doing this um, skydiving, and he was really scared, blah, blah, blah. And then he talked about somebody telling him that all the best things in life are always beyond fear. And I really think that is true.
0: I because love at the that. End,
1: it's so <laughs> true, right? It's, when you yeah. think about it, because even parenting is the most amazing thing in the world. Like, I really do see my life as before being a mom and after, and the amount of love that I feel for my children is like no other. But how fucking petrifying is it being a mother?
0: Mm-hmm. like how yeah. fucking
1: petrifying and
0: the more so- you analyze it just takes all the joy out of it uh, yeah
1: <laughs> and so like all the best things in life are beyond fear and that's what I remind myself
0: mm. um, that's you know? going to become yeah. a new yeah a new <laughs> catchphrase I love that yeah. fantastic well Gosh, I feel like there's been so many pearls of wisdom in oh. our sort of forty-five minutes together. So, so thank you so much for sort of speaking as you always do. You know, so honestly, um, and and hopefully as well that kind of you know it's creating a movement, isn't it? That it's it's okay, and actually we get so much more out of it if we actually sort of prioritize our needs, talk, and get what we you know want. So, um, yes. so thank you so much. Pleasure. Um, just like to finish on one final thing, which is for you personally, what makes you feel over the bloody moon?
1: For me, uh, I was thinking of loads of things from chocolate and gin and tonic to listening to music and being with my friends. But I have to say, you said it at the beginning, the heart of everything is always women's rights and women in general. And I do funny and all that honestly as a tool to promote the agenda that I have. Sometimes I get I, I get a bit sort of distracted or I'm not quite sure why I'm doing it. Is it even working? Like, does anybody care? Is it enough? And I do get down, you know, and it's so weird that every time that happens, I then will bump into somebody or get this amazing message from somebody, from a woman who will say what you said or what you did or the book that or whatever literally made an impact on me. And I just, I always feel like, so blown away by that it's such it's such a great reminder you know that and i do think that the more we we vocalize these things like you said it's a movement it's like a ripple effect you know so that that makes me feel pretty good
0: oh, i love <laughs> yeah. that and i love you so thank you so much and um, keep up all the you know amazing work and so lovely to have you today you too thank you so much leslie